Hello, everyone. This is a new podcast. I am Rose. And I'm Rose. Okay. Wait, is that my line? No. Wait, why'd you, wait, then why'd you say I'm Rose? <laughs> He's Gabe, and we are running unopposed. We are oh, we're doing podcast. names. Oh, I thought it was just kind of like I said what you said, and we would just like do that for an hour, so it, it, we would just say like <laughs> monosyllabic like words for like the next yeah, hour, no, that, and then- yeah, okay. And then you, and then you would say it, and then I would say it, and then you would say something else, and then I would say that thing, and then it would just kind of go on. Yeah, yeah, see, the plan is we gotta hook people in by doing, like, real high-effort episodes, and then we gradually devolve until it's just nonsense. <laughs> like, it's just gonna be me speaking in, like, broken Mandarin, and you just have it, and you just, like, occasionally laughing. It's gonna be awesome. But for now, it's running unopposed. We are a new podcast covering strange politicians and their many crimes and scandals. We'll be mostly focusing on American politicians, but sometimes we'll branch out. Yeah, we, like might, the... oh, we, might branch out, we might branch out a bit from politicians to like cover, like I don't know, movies, for example, or events, things like that. Yeah, but the main focus is going to be the crimes committed by politicians, particularly the weird ones. Yes. Um, if you like the show and want to be notified when new episodes come out, Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter at is at OpposedPod, because running unopposed was one letter too long, and I'm still mad about it. We also have an email, runningunopposedpod at gmail.com, if you want to send us fan mail, business inquiries, or suggestions for future episodes. Uh, I will read them, because I have nothing better to do. Now, let's get into the episode. I'm so in today, school, and I also don't know the email password, so I will not be reading them. That's right. I'm going to be reading them. So if you wanna, if you wanna uh, talk bad about Gabe, you can email me. And if you want to talk bad about Rose, don't even tell me. Just like tell your friends, anybody, really. Yeah, it's fine. I can take it. They probably will agree. Yeah. So who are we covering? We are covering a man named Byron Lupa. Now you probably know him as Byron Low Tax Looper because he legally got his middle name changed to low tax. However, we're going to have to get into that in a little bit. That's so like the he guy who changed his name to pro-life. Was there a guy who did that? Yes, there was. Yeah, I, post Byron Looper, several people have changed their name to some variant of low tax taxes. There's some like California guy who changed his name to lower taxes. The guy who founded the Something Awful Forums, Richard Kianka, changed his name to low tax as an homage to Byron Looper. And we'll get into why Byron Looper was so infamous in a little bit. So, Byron Looper was born September 15th, 1964, in Cookville, Tennessee. Uh, the one person I've met from Cookville once described it as being at the center of the H in nowhere. It is not a large area. He was, it, it had a population of around 7,000 when he was born, and it's in Putnam County, this very rural farming-based area. But he didn't stay there very long. He went to Georgia because his father, Aaron Looper, got a job as a superintendent. And then his parents divorced, and Byron stayed with his father. Now, Byron's father was an exacting man. He demanded perfection of Byron and fully expected him to be elected to a high office one day. And he made this known to his son. This I'm sure up on that him. did not mess up his kid at all. I'm sure no lasting trauma or unresolved issues. Well, I mean, because we're covering him on this podcast, uh, his career ended very well, and he had no real problems in life. 
That was sarcasm, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Both of those things, not true. Yeah. Um, also, uh, some free advice to parents, as uh, speaking as someone who has no kids, you should put a lot of expectations on your children because they will live up to them and they'll always be thankful for it. <laughs> so, this, however, this did rub off on Byron, and all the way back in high school, Byron was talking about how he wanted to be a politician. Now, he ends up getting into West Point, the very esteemed military academy in upstate New York, in 1983. So, looks like he's got a promising career. However, two years later, he is honorably discharged, supposedly because he fell from a horse and injured his knee. Now, I say supposedly because that's what he put on his resume, but West Point doesn't actually disclose why students leave early, ever. So, we have to take his word for it, and as you'll see later, this guy lies a lot. So wait, even if you get expelled or something, they're not gonna. They'll will they just say expelled or dishonorably yeah. discharged? Yes, they will just say expelled. They will not say why. Interesting. Yeah. So and I couldn't find any evidence of walking difficulties later in life from him. Like, I, and I looked hard. I watched like a lot of videos of him, like just like walking in places. But I could. He seems to walk normally. So, Although a knee injury doesn't mean you're ready for combat. Or a knee injury that you can still walk through doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for combat. Yeah, no, it's, it's possible it just crippled him for like a little bit and not for life. I don't know. Yeah. So he runs for state legislature back in Georgia at 23 years old, and he gets owned in the primary. He loses very badly. He goes to Stetson University in Atlanta to get a business degree because he couldn't get into law school. Uh, he actually manages to get elected student body president, and according to Kay Anderson, an employee of Stetson University, she said, he was very visible, let's put it that way. He was not a shy person. Uh, he was also known to drink a lot and get violently angry when he did, and drive. He had two DUIs uh, before, the, not before 1990, uh, one in Hall County, Georgia in 1986, and another in Atlanta in 1987. Uh, however, despite all this, he manages to get himself appointed head of the Young Democrats of Georgia, and he works on Al Gore's 1998, or 1988 Democratic primary campaign, and later on Clinton's 1992 election campaign. So it seems like he's able to like somewhat repair his life after the DUIs. It seems like he's not a high-level operative, but he's definitely making moves and participating, and enough that he could probably get his name noticed by some people who have some power. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I tried to figure out why he stopped being leader of the Young Democrats of Georgia, and also when, but I could not. Every article said that, that it was his, quote, abrasive personality. I called the Georgia Democratic Party, and they never got back to me. So I have no idea why he left, other than an abrasive personality. I could not get more specifics. I'm going to assume he was pushed out or something, but yeah. again, I don't have that information, so don't quote me on that. I read on a blog somewhere that he was furious that the Clinton administration couldn't give him a job, but I couldn't find anyone at, that the Clinton administration didn't give him a job. But I didn't verify that anywhere, so I can't 100% confirm it. Yeah. But let's just say that he felt personally slighted, and he chose to leave both Georgia and, crucially, the Democratic Party. Supposedly, he once said, I'll be a Democrat or a Republican, whatever it takes for me to get elected. And uh, you'll soon see how true that is. Wow, he was really open, just saying, I don't care about principles or policies, uh, just give me power, please. Yeah, pretty much. 
So we aren't exactly sure when he went to Tennessee, when he returned to Tennessee, specifically Cookville, because uh, his resume says he worked in Puerto Rico for this bank called First Continental Brokerage, which was sort of an affiliate of Bear Stearns. I don't think they exist anymore. And it also said he was assistant president of a university that didn't exist. So I think he just made up a bunch of shit and said it in Puerto Rico so that people wouldn't check. So he pulled a Herschel Walker before Herschel Walker? Yes, but you see, it was like 1993 when he did that, so it was much easier to do that because the internet wasn't really a thing. No, but it's still interesting. He pulled a Herschel Walker before Herschel did. Yeah, kind of. All right, so he must have been in Tennessee by, like, late 1994, though, because he runs for a state legislature seat and loses. But in 1996, he runs for tax assessor as a Republican against the incumbent Democrat and legally changes his name to low tax in parentheses. This is sort of the start of his real story. He would supposedly call up reporters who didn't use his middle name and demand they issue corrections, threatening to sue them. I don't think that is that is that something that would have any legal ground. It's not libel. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I genuinely don't know, but probably not. Byron Looper loved threatening to sue people. That was like probably top three favorite activities of Byron Looper. Top ten Byron Looper hits. Number three. <laughs> Frivolous lawsuits. <laughs> I'm just imagining the uh, the BuzzFeed on um, the. BuzzFeed Unsolved guys, but they're just doing top 10 lists for crazy politicians and their antics. That's kind of what this podcast is. Yeah. Although yeah. we don't sound like the BuzzFeed Unsolved guys. No, not yet. No, one we're not day. cool enough. No, one day we shall become the BuzzFeed Unsolved guys. Uh, that's my career goal, actually. Yeah, but anyways, no one really took Byron Looper seriously because he was new to the area and he hadn't really done anything in Tennessee politics other than lose a state legislature race in a different part of the state. And that was about it. However, and the incumbent uh, the, whose name I it was named Bill Ripito. He had been a he was a Democrat. Putnam County was pretty much run by the Democrats. It was pretty solidly blue. Uh, and but Bill Ripito was being criticized because he'd reappraised county property. From what I could tell, this means he decided on values and classifications for certain properties in the area. Then he did it again, possibly to correct a mistake, possibly to do his possibly to do a little bit of corruption. I couldn't really find anything. I couldn't really get into the specifics of what he specifically reappraised and why. So I can't say whether it was corrupt or not. But Byron Looper sure did. He said his opponent was giving, quote, sweetheart deals to his friends, and that he was part of the, quote, good old boys network of Putnam County, and that he was going against that. He ran a really shockingly dirty campaign for, like, such a local area. He refused to debate. He barely made public appearances. He just blanketed the airwaves with negative radio ads, put up negative posters everywhere, and uh, just really went for it. Which, now, I mean, yeah, what are you gonna say? Probably not the worst strategy, just because local races, I feel, don't get a ton of attention. So, I mean, a lot of people, even if you're debating, they probably won't know the names of the candidates. So, I guess the airwaves, so I guess like the airwaves were especially crucial then, just because I feel like for races that local, people aren't really gonna raise or spend a lot of money. Yeah, I would uh, tend to agree with that. 
So now, listener, when I tell you I looked for these ads, I need you to believe me. I scoured every archive of political advertisements I could find, from the Internet Archive to, like, some random guy's blog. I called up local Tennessee news channels to ask if they had any records of them. I called in to Tennessee radio stations that I have since forgotten the name of. I found <laughs> nothing. I found about two seconds of one in a clip of an Oxygen TV special about Byron Looper that I watched as research for this episode, and that was it. There are no, if there are any archives of these ads, if you have any, please tell me because I want to know what was on them. Rose is really getting pissed off about this, so please do not send them into the show if you have I, them. I do not expect anyone to have them. I assume they're just gone by now. But if you do, please do not send them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bill Ripito, the 14-year Democratic incumbent, was completely blindsided. He had no idea what to do. And Looper wins with a narrow majority. One source said 800 votes. That was specific as I could, as specific as I could find online. Uh, I have yet to buy a newspapers.com subscription. I'm sure I will eventually. But, you know, once I do, maybe I'll check the exact specifics of what it was. I, one source said he won by 800 votes. So I'm just going to go with that. Uh, and I, but I couldn't figure out how many people voted in Putnam County at the time. So we'll see. Now, here's the thing. It's very ironic that Looper won the tax assessor job with his middle name as Low Tax. Because do you all know something the tax assessor doesn't actually do? Uh, collect taxes? No, they, they sort of do. Uh, what they don't do is they don't set the tax rate. Yeah, that's that the governor not... and the state legislature's job. Yes, the county, the, some counties set tax rates, like New York County does, but mo usually the state government does it. No, but I, I think the state governments set tax rates, but then counties can also set their own tax rates and municipalities yeah. can do that. Yes, yes, they like, can. Yeah, I know in New York there's a, a, a citywide tax rate, then there's the statewide tax rate, and then there's also federal taxes. Yeah, so state and federal governments set taxes, not in Putnam County, not the Putnam County tax assessor. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure Byron Looper knew this when he ran, but he definitely learned it once he won because he was never in office when he actually won. <laughs> According to the AP, he immediately left for Puerto Rico for three weeks once he got elected. Uh, and I tried to find out what he was doing in Puerto Rico. I searched, like, Puerto Rican news archives, and I found nothing. So uh, if you live in Puerto Rico and live near, like, a newspaper, please ask them if they know anything about Byron Looper, because I'm curious. Uh and then Joel Reimer, the guy who ran Byron's campaign, said that he immediately started talking about running for Congress. A reporter said, quote, it's like he started running for another office immediately after becoming property assessor. Also, side note, people use tax assessor and property assessor interchangeably, from what I can tell. I'm going to use tax assessor unless I am specifically reading a quote that says property assessor, just to get that out of the way. So before we get into his race for state senate, which is what he's known for, let's go into his time as tax assessor a bit, because, um, oh boy, was it bad. So first off, this is like very early on. He increases his tax assessment on people who didn't support his campaign, including other elected officials. In addition to being vindictive and just bad thing to do, it's super, super illegal. I cannot stress enough. If you ever get elected tax assessor of a county, do not do this. You will go to jail. 
because it's using a political office to settle your personal grudges, which other elected officials get very mad about. Uh, so March of 1994, about a year and a half, two years into his time, he's already been indicted by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, which is just the state-level version of the FBI, on 14 counts of misuse of, prop of county property employees and theft. How long was he in office? How long was he in office? Uh, about two years. But, like, at the, at the time this happened? Around a year and a half, two years, towards the end of it. Okay, so this, this is guy... like by that time, like they had they had already been building a case against him pretty much immediately. So this guy just seems to have no subtlety and a lot of grudges. Oh yeah, we're getting into that. Um, he was also sued by a girlfriend who says he defrauded her out of her house with a fake deed and sexually assaulted her, getting her pregnant. So um, yeah. He's Wait. kind of a monstrous human. I'm on Wikipedia, and it says here, and I quote about the girlfriend, earlier he had run campaign ads in which he falsely represented the same girlfriend as his wife. That is true. He did that. Well, I, I found articles saying he did that, but again, I could not find any actual campaign ads of Byron Looper, so I'm going to assume it's true, but I couldn't verify the actual ads. He said of her lawsuit, quote, she left me with heart palpitations, a small box of memorabilia, and a red G-string. He also tried to, like, smear her as a stripper, which was not true. She was his landlady. Like, she had a totally normal job, and he was just awful to her. And, uh... I mean, he's an awful... He was an awful human, so I'm not... Yeah, yeah, if, if we're covering someone on this podcast, uh, that probably means they're bad, just as a general. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, I, I'm not exactly blindsided by him just doing just numerous crimes. Yeah. Uh, he said all the charges against him were happening because he, the Democrats controlled the county. He started sending press releases to local media, including the Cookville Citizen Herald, or Herald Citizen, uh, claiming he's going against the good old boys network of Putnam County claiming he's so great, and actually it's the other state and county officials who are corrupt. Wait, did he blame the Clintons or Al Gore? I couldn't find anything, but maybe. I say Al Gore because Tennessee, and I say the Clintons because the 90s was when the Clinton conspiracies really started taking off. Well, yeah, because that's when he was president. No, but I mean, but like, but he had a political career before then, don't forget. Yeah. Do you think there were guys in Arkansas when Bill Clinton was governor who were, like, really into Clinton conspiracies back then? No, I, I probably – my dad, he used to have – he had a big case in Little Rock in the late 80s, early 90s, so he would fly down there a lot. Okay. And what he And what he told me is that he found – he would find posters alleged – like, talking about Bill Clinton's alleged secret kids that he had with black prostitutes. Ah, Okay. No, so this was going on even when Bill – and this was when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas. We should do an episode on Linda Tripp at some point. That would be fun. Oh, I've heard – yeah, she was the one who recorded who recorded conversations with Lewinsky. Yeah, and she also did a documentary called Waco the Big Lie that – well, you know, quote-unquote documentary that um, later influenced Timothy McVeigh. So she might be an interesting figure to kind of dive into the history of. I was going to make a pun, but I realized mockumentary was taken. Yeah, that's already a thing. <laughs> Anyways, an, to, another thing Byron Looper liked to do. Documentally. Is, um, so, Looper, 
would remove certain pieces of land from the tax rolls so that he could then prevent the property owner from running for office or being engaged in local politics because it would look like they're committing tax fraud. When in reality, they would have paid taxes if Looper had actually assessed their property properly. So he essentially like took it off so that way it would look like they hadn't paid taxes and were committing tax fraud so by it, doing it themselves. The lack of property qualification disqualify them in the first place, or would they run and or would he was he planning on them running? And then you could say, oh, you're pay, you're committing tax fraud. There are no records of you paying taxes. Kind of both. Mm. Yeah. So he also didn't assess the proper some of the property he was supposed to as part of his job. So that's also frowned upon. So I found a couple other things that I wasn't able to fully verify, as I could not get full access to the Cookville Herald Citizens archives from before 1998, just the random articles people have digitized and referenced here or there across the internet. So supposedly, right after he got back from Puerto Rico, he claimed he'd found $100 million in unpaid taxes in Putnam County, fired about 40 people from the office for being Democrats and therefore spies for the good old boys network, hired a security chief, had the office swept for bugs constantly, and um, built sort of a wooden structure that he could have conversations in to prevent people from listening in. Knowing Byron Looper, I thought you were going to say it was like to intimidate opponents, and then uh, and then it was going to turn out it was like some sort of catapult. <laughs> I, I need, like, state-level politicians to start doing, like, medieval warfare on each other. That would be so sick. I want to see a trebuchet in the next, like, Queensboro president election. That would be so cool. All right. So he also claimed voting irregularities and made his office's employees work on his re-election campaign, which is very illegal. Was he paying them, at least? I mean, he was paying them. They were getting government salaries because they were county employees to work on his reelection campaign, which but, but you I really he, are not allowed to do. But I assume he was not paying them like for, like additional funds to take on the other job of working for his campaign. Uh, I couldn't find anything that said he did, but I couldn't find it. So I'd imagine no. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the type of guy who is willing to spread the wealth around. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like super wealthy. Like, he didn't grow up poor, but he wasn't, like, a millionaire. He's he's constantly embezzling money and doing tax shenanigans. I'm sure he was I, – or I don't know if he was definitely embezzling money, but I'm sure he was taking something. Oh, yeah, probably. I, I really did try to figure out, like, who donated to him, who funded his political campaigns. I found nothing. So that was something that kind of stuck out to me is, like, who was giving this guy money? <laughs> and I honestly don't know. I, I tried, but I couldn't find it. So the walls appear to be closing in on our boy Byron here. However, while he's running for, while this is going on, he's running for a seat in the state Senate, specifically the 15th district. Now the state Senate seat he's running for is being held by a man named Fred Thomas Burks, known as Tommy Burks. Every source I found really emphasized his folksy wisdom, his Southern charm, his humility, how willing he was to help you out, that sort of thing. He was a hog farmer who got up early, did work around his thousand-acre farm, drove over an hour to Nashville to attend to the day's business, then drove home to have dinner with his family. He never wore a suit and tie, preferring the rubber work boots of a hog farmer. He was radically different from Byron in one key way. He didn't have delusions of grandeur. 
he wasn't constantly trying to run for her higher office. He was perfectly content to be a state senator and a hog farmer. He was super popular, and the district loved him. Uh, however, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Tommy Burks was an old-school Southern Democrat. He was had been he, in office. Was he very anti-abortion? Oh, yeah, we're about to get into that. He'd been in office since 1978, a full 20 years, and was known as a staunch conservative, even in the Tennessee State Senate Democrat and the Tennessee Democratic Party. On two occasions, he introduced legislation to not outlaw the teaching of evolution, but essentially make it so that you legally you could only teach evolution as a theory rather than a scientific fact. You also had to teach creationism as a theory. Did and he ne- this isn't huh? No, it did it. It um, it failed thirteen yays and twenty nays. In case you're curious, uh, that the and the second time he tried to do it was in 1996. So this wasn't like a thing he tried to do early and then got rid of. He was still trying to do this in the mid 90s. He was also vehemently opposed to the state lottery, legalized gambling, and of course legal abortion. I found several websites saying Byron Looper was a pro-abortion activist, but those websites were always called things like the American Society for the Defense of Tradition. So I don't think they're particularly reliable, so I'm just going to discard that. Now, we come to the race itself. Byron Looper was running unopposed in the Republican primary because the state party just did not care. I don't think they even endorsed him because it was just pointless. Burks was incredibly popular. There was no way he was going to win. Burks was so confident that he didn't even bother campaigning. He spent the the fall, where else, on the hog farm with his family. Instead of making actual campaign appearances, he put on a little harvest festival on his farm. He'd have his farmhands, and sometimes him, take the county kids on hayrides, give them pumpkins from the patch, that kind of thing. You know, sort of fall festival type stuff. As much as I'm sure you'd love to hear me prattle on about how nice this man was, it's time for us to talk about the morning of October 19th, 1998. Oh, this is where it really gets crazy. Yes, it is. The election is in two weeks, and Burks is feeling confident. He has every reason to be. He's on the farm early in the morning with a farmhand, a man named Wesley Rex. Around 8.30 or so, Wesley hears a loud pop and goes to Burks' truck, about halfway between the barn and the highway. He sees Tommy sitting there with a trickle of blood coming down his face. He returns to the house and tells Charlotte Burks, Tommy's wife, that something's wrong. The police are called. They determine that Tommy was shot once in the head, fatally. There was some speculation that it was done by a hitman because it was one shot and the perpetrator made a clean getaway as if they were a professional. Police noted that no money was taken, no attempt to hide the body was made, and that Burks was shot inside his car, presumably from only a few feet away, without any sign of a struggle. The police start their investigation, and they talk to Wesley Rex, the man who found the body. He's known as having a very good memory, and he tells the police he saw a dark Audi leaving the scene, but he didn't recognize the man driving it. This ordinarily wouldn't matter too much, but an Audi in Putnam County was a rare sight. This was not a county where people drove fancy European cars. There was some speculation that he was murdered for his anti-evolution beliefs because it was seen as embarrassing to the state's reputation. I think that's just a thing that anti-evolution people say. I could find no evidence of that. I was going to say, I don't think people knew who this man was. No. I mean, in Tennessee, people knew who he was. 
in his district probably, but I assumed like if you just asked a random person in like Nashville where he was not representing or something, I'm sure they would say they would respond with who? Yeah, pretty much. They also considered if maybe there was a dark side to him, involvement with the mob, that sort of thing. But they didn't find anything. However, if you do want to know about politicians involved in the mob, stay tuned, because uh, a couple episodes from now, there's going to be one. So the police call in Wesley Rex again, and they have him sit with a sketch artist. And he describes the face he saw in quite detail. And what do you know? Turns out that the sketch produced looks a whole lot like a man named Byron Lotax Looper. People have been floating the idea that Byron might have done the murder, but no one took it seriously until this point. It's an insane idea, right? Murdering your political opponent? Well, maybe not. Byron's strategy here was to exploit a legal loophole in the ten- in Tennessee laws that said someone who's dead cannot appear on the ballot, but someone who's committed a felony still can. What's odd, though, is that it seems he didn't even try to get away with it. Someone saw him leaving the scene of the crime, and he just hid He didn't call Burks' family to offer his condolences. He didn't put out a statement. He just disappeared for four days. And that disappearance was notable, because he wasn't someone who sat in the background. He was constantly promoting himself on the radio, on TV, hanging up posters, all that stuff. Yeah, this does not sound like a guy who is known to be low-key at all. No, not at all. So the police just put some officers on house-watching duty, And after four days, that strategy pays off. So Byron pulls up in a Chevy Beretta, sees the police officers, and asks, would you like to come in? This man, after being on the run for four days, not only went back to his house, called the police for him and asked if they wanted some Coca-Cola. Can you guess how the police reacted? Uh, no, because you murdered someone? Yeah, basically. If you guessed, they brought him into custody immediately, you'd be right. So he refused to speak until his lawyers arrived, which, to be fair, smart idea. Plenty of people do that. Yeah, that's, that's generally what you, if you ever, listener, if you ever get arrested, don't talk until your lawyer arrives. Just don't do it. So that's what happens, and his lawyers arrive, and they bring an alibi. However, um, they messed up here. They gave two different alibis which is not really how alibis work. They said he was either with his mother back in Georgia uh, or with his friend Joe Bond in Arkansas or some combination of both. I thought he was going to say Puerto Rico. No, we're done with Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is no longer involved in our story. Oh, it seemed like this guy was kind of obsessed with Puerto Rico. Yeah, I I tried to find more on his like weird stuff with Puerto Rico, but I didn't really find much. So here's the thing. This isn't the most airtight alibi, but if you've been listening so far, the investigators had no actual physical evidence tying Byron to the murder. They just had Wesley Rex's testimony that he looked like Byron. However, another witness came forward. A woman who worked at a Hardee's drive-thru near the crime scene said he was there the morning of the murder and that she remembered him because he ordered a biscuit, they got his order wrong, and he freaked out at the drive-thru. (laughs) <laughs> because of course he did because that of course like, this is a guy who like terrorizes service workers this feels that feels like the dumbest way to get caught for a crime even if no one has evidence even if there isn't any hard evidence other than like you left for a few days if that makes sense it just yeah you'd think if you were planning on killing someone and getting away with it you would try to make as 
few people as possible see you. You would think that would be smart, but he did not consider that. Uh, additionally, Byron's alibi, his friend Joe Bond, an ex-Marine from Arkansas, called the Tennessee DA's office. And according to Bond, they were out drinking, so he was with Byron. He was with Byron during those four days, uh, and, and also beforehand. And while they were drinking beforehand, Byron was talking about the Senate race and said something along the lines of, if I can't win it legitimately, I'm just going to shoot the guy. Wait, Bond, he was on record I, saying that? According, he wasn't recorded saying that, but Joe Bond said he said that. Oh, uh, yeah, this guy does not seem to understand how crimes are supposed to work. Yeah, we're going to get into the trial in a second, actually. Um, Bond figured he was kidding, but uh, clearly he wasn't. Looper actually fled to Bond's house after the murder and said, quote, I busted a cap in that dude's head. You'll cover my ass on this, right? And um, turns out, no, no, he wouldn't. At Looper's yeah. trial, oh, sorry, I feel what? Like if you're good, I feel like if, I feel like most like, competent criminals who go around shooting people try to make friends so that way, like, if at the very least they can't blackmail them, then, like, the people have some sort of emotional attachment to the criminal, so that way they would feel more uneasy about turning them in. I wouldn't know. I mean, I wouldn't either, but that's just my assumption. Like, it seems like this, every wrong turn he could have made, he did. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, so, at Looper's trial, Joe Bond comes in as a witness, and records said that Looper was devastated, which was probably true. I mean, he'd confessed to Bond, so if Bond was testifying, that was going to go badly for him. He pled not guilty, and his name was still the only one on the ballot because of that legal loophole he was exploiting. But there was one final option. It's a tradition in some states when uh, a local politician dies who's been there a while uh, and they die in the middle of the term that you give the seat to their wife or their widow. And Charlotte Burks, Tommy Burks's widow, stood as a write-in candidate, got about 30,000 votes to Byron's 1,500. Obviously, there are not a lot of successful write-in campaigns in the U.S., but this was a special circumstance. Even though Murkowski's was successful. That's true. Yeah, it happens sometimes. So was Strom Thurmond's. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hey, I still remember those Lisa Murkowski ads where they just taught you how to spell her name properly. Which, I mean, I like if you're going to run a writing campaign, then makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's impressive that she was able to be named Murkowski and still get a write-in campaign successfully. I wonder what she – well, a lot of people also probably remembered her father, so a lot of people probably knew how to spell her name at that point. Oh, yeah, that's true. I feel like Alaska has a lot of, like, dynastic politics. Yeah. And plus, she was also an incumbent senator, so – Yeah, true. And I feel like she's not super high profile, but I think she's pretty well-known. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I like, if... the average American who's, like, cute into politics knows her. Yeah, I feel like also – um, by the way, quick sidetrack. When we do our midterm election predictions in a few – in about two weeks from now – we should probably cover her race because hers is interesting. Yes, it is. But we'll do that later. Yeah. For now, back to Byron Looper. Uh, Charlotte Burks actually served in the state Senate until 2015. So quite a while. Uh, Looper's trial was not the smoothest. He went through nine lawyers between 1988 or 1998 and 2000 when the trial actually began. What was he doing to make these lawyers leave? We'll get into it. Uh, 
They, it was also de- a lot of the delay was because of potential jury bias. They had to get jurors from Sullivan County, which was about 100 miles away, uh, because the local media, obviously, was covering this case extensively. So they figured the jury would be prejudiced. He also used his. Me- oh, sorry, what? That's also pretty common, it taking a while to get a jury, because even if you don't know the person, they're afraid that, you know, you might have met once 20 years ago or something and accepted $5 from them, and that could somehow. Uh, influence your opinion of them? Yeah, pretty much. This isn't like... Yeah, it's not unprecedented to do that. Especially for high-profile murders. Yeah, but it must have Uh, also been especially difficult in this county just because there weren't a lot of people. Yeah, it was about 50,000 people. So I feel like you run out of people kind of quickly. Yeah, perhaps. I, uh... If we ever do uh, episodes on the Oklahoma City bombing, we will also run into that. Uh, they they used out-of-state uh, juries as well for that trial. But anyways, uh, Byron used his media connections to try to ruin Joe Bond's reputation, but it did not work, and Bond was pretty much the star witness for the prosecution, along with Leslie Rex. Two local Tennessee political consultants also took the stand, testifying that they had both heard Byron Looper say the surest way to win an election would be to murder your opponent. Wait, how did uh, Bond, how did he try to slander Bond's reputation? He just said, like, oh, he's a drug addict, you know, he's a criminal, he's etc. Oh, expecting Byron Looper would be some, I thought it would be something really crazy. Yeah, it was just, like, generic rumor-mongering. It wasn't anything like, you know, you know, he's corrupt, he's part of the local network. He drinks too much. Yeah. Which, ironic, coming from Byron Looper, a man who had two DUIs. Now, anyways, a 9mm pistol was found near an exit ramp off the interstate highway by Cookville, which prosecutors were able to link to Looper, which was somewhat controversial, which we'll get to in a second. And so the trial begins. Bill Gibson, the Tennessee district, the district attorney, is prosecuting personally. He said, quote, Byron Looper is a man obsessed with a burning desire for power. He knew he didn't have a chance in the fair election to defeat Tommy Burks, and that caused him to formulate a plan to resolve this election with a bullet instead of a ballot. Ken Poston, Byron, the main lawyer from Looper, claimed, quote, he was the first election elected Republican in Putnam County, at least in recent memory, and he made quite a name for himself. Not a good name. He, let, he had a bombastic campaign style, a way of offending anyone that was the status quo, and he did it repeatedly. Gibson brings in a VCR and plays a tape. One report of the trial I found described it as thus. The police evidence tape was shot at the crime scene prior to the removal of Tommy's body. And sometimes erratic, amateurish quality, the tape showed Burke slumped over the steering wheel of his pickup truck, the interior of which was covered with blood. The tape had no sound, which added to its eerie quality. Burke's corpse could plainly be seen, his foot still on the brake, his face mottled with blood and gunshot residue. The state called 34 witnesses. Their case was mostly airtight. Some were able to place Looper near the scene, such as that Hardy's drive through employee early, I mentioned earlier. Some were more emotional, such as the testimony of Charlotte Burks, describing touching her deceased husband and feeling a hole in the back of his head. Uh, which I'm not going to do because it felt exploitative to talk about that part. Um, the testimony that really sealed Looper's fate was that of his former friend, Joe Bond. He said Looper had reached out to him during the state senate race, looking to get back in touch, but quickly turned to Bond for advice on what firearm he should buy that would be easily accurate and easily concealable. On the stand, this he claimed of Looper, no quote, he said there were only two 
No. On the stand, he claimed of Looper, quote, he said there were only two people on the ballot and that if one died, he would automatically win. I guess he forgot about write-in candidates. And also forgot other William parts Lindsay not Adams. people before you do a crime. Yeah, um, listener, if you ever commit a crime, which you shouldn't, don't tell people about it. It will end badly for you. That's uh, your free legal advice of the day. Uh, legally, I am not a lawyer and cannot give legal advice. J just had to throw that in there in case. William Lindsay Adams, a political consultant Looper hired through a magazine ad, told the jury that he once asked Looper how much a congressional race would cost, which he claimed Looper answered by saying, quote, not much, about 35 cents, which was the price of a bullet at the time. Oh, God. Which, it feels like something out of a movie, right? Like, I, come on, no, man. No, I was actually, I was guessing like, that he would say something similar, which would be, which would be nothing, because I'll kill them and run unopposed. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, you sort of have to, not respect, but, like, kind of be in awe of Looper's commitment to talking like a comic book villain. You know what I mean? Like, saying not much about 35 cents in reference to the price of a bullet feels like something that the villain in a Frank Miller comic would say. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you there. Yeah. Uh, shockingly, that testimony was ruled inadmissible, along with another political consultant. Uh, John Bowden, a defense witness, was the one who actually bought the gun had been, who had, that had been found. He claimed he never gave the gun to Looper and sold it to someone else a few months after he bought it. He even admitted that he'd lied to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation about when he bought it. The prosecution somewhat discredited him, getting to change his story, and crucially, convinced the jury he was lying. The defense's main strategy was to place Looper at his mother's house when the murder occurred, and they had several witnesses to do this, including Russell and Reba Looper, Byron's brother and mother, respectively. They brought a forensics expert to dispute the tire tread report from the police that said it matched the Audi Byron owned. And yet again, they reiterated that the prosecution could not 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt link Byron to the gun. So was their strategy basically, he probably did it, but we don't have any um, undeniable evidence that he did it, so we're going to assume that he did not. I mean, legally, all you need to do is provide a doubt that the that the defendant didn't do it. You do no, not that, need to prove that they definitively didn't do it. You just need to introduce no, that. Is true, legally, yeah. that is the standard. No, that is like a that is a no. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. However, um, they weren't able to do that. The prosecution did enough, and Byron was convicted. Uh, prosecutors specifically chose not to seek the death penalty, even though he was eligible for it at the time, because the family requested he didn't. Uh, Byron Looper was given a sentence of life in prison on August 23rd, 2000, after a jury deliberation of just two and a half hours, shorter than some movies. A quote from an article about it said, quote, Looper's expression never changed, and he remained seated at the defense table, showing no outward reaction as he watched each juror nod or orally affirm that they agreed with the verdict. Do you think now, he was just kind of resigned mind, to going to jail? He was already indicted on the corruption stuff I mentioned earlier. Um, I think he got to be famous, which is what he wanted all along. 
Yeah, I guess. And it seems like this guy doesn't really Honestly, care that, about that's what keeping I believe. his reputation. I, think, I don't. I think he knew that even if he got caught, he would go down in history. That is true. Yeah. Wait, can you hear me? Yeah, I think he knew that even if he got caught, he would go down in history. And hey, we're talking about him, so clearly he he did. Keep in mind, he had been indicted on the corruption stuff I mentioned earlier before he commits the murder. There's an article from July 29th, 1998, about him getting a court date, and the murder wasn't committed till October 19th, 1998. From what I could tell, the, Bureau, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation basically just said, yeah, we're just not going to prosecute him for corruption because we're prosecuting him for murder. Which, yeah. No. His time in prison wasn't crazy eventful, but there's a couple things we can go over. He sued a TV station a year into his stay for making him look bad for accurately depicting him, essentially. Uh, he tried to have his conviction overturned. Uh, that never worked, probably because of the overwhelming evidence and testimony against him. He sued the Tennessee Department of Corrections, which runs the state jails, for $47 million, saying he was unconstitutionally detained and that he wasn't getting the medical care he needed. Finally, on June 16th, 2013, at age 48, Byron Lotax Looper was found dead in his cell, two hours after he was restrained by guards for assaulting a female prison officer who was 34 weeks pregnant. His death was caused by a heart event, as the news said, due to high blood pressure and hardening arteries, as well as an unusually high level of antidepressants. A report said he hit her around 8.55 after making an unspecified request that she denied, and that he was found dead in his cell at 11.10 a.m. The best quote I could find that sums up his life is this one, from Doug McBroom, the Putnam County executive. He thought he was the smart one, but he kept getting caught. I Did he, uh... I really can't think of something... Yeah, what? What happened, what happened to, to the pregnant woman? woman? Yeah. Uh, they no, no articles disclosed her name, so I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I really can't think of anything that sums up his life better than that quote, which is why I've chosen to end with it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? This guy feels like a more local version of Jim Trafficant. Wow, spoiler for future episodes, but yeah, fair. Although Jim Trafficant, as far as I know, did not kill anyone. Again, spoilers for future episodes, but fair. Yeah, the um, the next episode will be hosted by Gabe, so I do not know what it's going to be on. But the next episode, the episode after that, the next one I host, will be on Jim Trafficant, a Youngstown area Ohio house rep. Yeah, that's kind of going to be our thing. We're going to alternate episodes. That's correct. So I have host. I'm hosting odd numbered episodes. Gabe is hosting even numbered episodes. Gabe, do you want to give us a little teaser of who we're doing next? Uh, no, because I also have not decided that. All right. Well, the next episode will be out when it's out. Uh, next week, hopefully. Hopefully, but probably not. We will attempt to get a regular schedule going, but we're both decently busy, so I can't promise anything. Well, I've been Rose. And uh, I'm Gabe. And we are the Running Unopposed podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning off. in. Thanks for tuning in. Sign up. Uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at OpposedPod. 
email us at runningunopposedpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Yep. See ya.